The Bar Star Podcast, hosted by Stephen O'Reilly, is a podcast about working musicians, their friends, and their opinions. Stephen is a musician in Louisville, Kentucky, who has... Wait a second. This guy's a drummer, not a real musician? Somebody gave a drummer a microphone for his voice? The hell? Unreal. Unbelievable. Episode of the Bar Star Podcast. I am your host, Stephen O'Reilly, and I want to thank you for making the time to come back and hang out with me again. I'm going to guess that you dug the previous episode. I'm going to guess that you didn't think it sucked. I didn't think it sucked, but of course not. It's my show. I hope everybody had a good week. I hope everybody is doing well. I had a fantastic week. I got to play some shows and Pound on some drums, which always makes me happy and makes my soul happy. All that kind of good stuff. I did actually have somebody lined up today, but our schedules just could not mesh. They could not work out well, and I did not want to leave you guys hanging. So today, I am flying solo. So I got a huge cup of coffee. I'm ready to babble about a bunch of stuff, and hopefully it'll be interesting to you. What I want to talk about today is tattoos. I know, right? So exciting. Tattoos. Oh my God, I really love your tat, man. One more person says tat to me. I think I want to punch him in the throat. Anyway, the reason I wanted to talk about tattoos today is because I find it an interesting dynamic. As someone who is heavily tattooed, uh, hi, that's me. If you don't know that, now you do. I am covered. Uh, Both of my arms are sleeved. Well, I've got some real estate left on my left arm, but I'll get that covered eventually. I've got a big one on my leg and then a small one on my other leg. And then there's one on my back that my wife and I actually have matching tattoos. But the reason I want to talk about tattoos today is because I find it the the dynamic interesting of how certain people view tattoos and tattooing, uh, the art form or the trashiness of it or the expression of it. Some of that stuff fascinates me. And I'll tell you why it fascinates me, not just because I am heavily tattooed, but I did not start getting tattooed till I was in my early 30s. I waited a very long time before I got tattooed. And I think the reason that I did was as, quote, cool as I've always thought tattoos were and are, the biggest thing for me was trying to figure out something that not only I would be happy to have on my body forever, but that actually meant something to me. I really think tattooing is is super personal and I don't view tattooing as a fad. To me, my all my tattoos have a story attached to them. Um it's my story written on my skin. Uh I heard somebody say years ago they called them rainbow scars, which I thought was really cool. As you go through life and you have your battles with whatever it is and you've won your wars and all that kind of stuff, you get internal scars. You get emotional scars as some people call it. You call it whatever you want. I just view it as things I've been through and things I've accomplished and overcome, and here I am. But in 2007, the beginning of 2007, actually, is when I got my first tattoo. And the reason I decided to start getting tattooed is because I wanted to tell my story through art. 
I find it fascinating that people will just walk into a tattoo shop and point at something on the wall and go, Hey dude, that's fucking awesome. We put that on my, put that on my arm, man. That's fa-. okay. That's a horrible impression, but you get the point. And I just think it's, it, there's no thought put into it. It's just getting a tattoo for the sake of getting a tattoo to look cool. In nine times out of 10, when those people get older, uh, they end up hating their tattoos and then they go for tattoo removal, which I have heard hurts 10 times worse than getting tattooed does. So I'm not real interested in zapping a laser on my skin to remove something. I have no interest in that. Another reason I wanted to talk about tattoos today is I found it cool that the first tattoo machine was patented in 1891 by a dude named Samuel F. O'Reilly. That's right. And O'Reilly did it. Unfortunately, I'm not related to him. I thought I would be. That would be kind of cool, but yeah, it is what it is. Still, that's a long time ago for the first electronic tattoo machine to be patented. 1891. Man, we talk about 1991 today, and kids of this era think that was 150 years ago. No, that really wasn't that long ago. The other thing that I find interesting, besides the fact that tattooing has been around forever, a lot of it was used to identify which tribe you were in, depending in which part of the world you were in. A lot of it was to mark someone, for examples, in certain ancient cities. I don't know which one's off the top of my head, but they would put a mark on you if you were a criminal, or they would put a mark on you if you were a murderer or a rapist, which I think is kind of cool. They should actually still do that shit. Of course, the military, especially among sailors, would start getting tattoos. And I found that one of the reasons they started getting them more frequently was not just to document their travels and and where they went. Because in the early days of sailors, when they would go from country to country, they would have basically documentation papers. They didn't have cell phones and barcode scanners and the internet and twit face and all that shit like we do now, obviously. And sometimes the papers would be... Something would be amiss with the paper. Something would be off. In the country they were trying to get into or the ship they were trying to board, it was at the person's discretion to let them on if their papers looked like they matched. And a lot of times there was something off with the papers where they wouldn't match and they wouldn't let the sailor on the ship. So what they started doing is they would get tattoos and they would put the description of the tattoo and the body placement of the tattoo in their papers to kind of eliminate some of the discretion so sailors were not left behind or left in other countries or left on a ship because they couldn't get into another country. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But the biggest thing I find interesting is how they are viewed today and how they've gone through fads. For example, in the 90s, everybody got tribal. Tribal tattooing to me was always kind of, I don't know, I never really got it. I never understood it. I have a big X on the inside of my left forearm. It's shaped a little bit weird because two of the points go down onto my hand. And it looks like tribal when you kind of just glance at it. And then, of course, when you actually look at the rest of the stuff that's around it and there's some stars and some other little tidbits that's kind of interwoven into it, it's not a tribal piece, but it looks like tribal. But the reason I got the X was for the first few years of my drumming endeavors, In all the shows I went to, I always had an X on my left hand because I was underage in bars. So I thought, well, that would be kind of cool because everything on my left arm is music related. For example, I have music notes on my knuckles. I've got 4-4 and 6-8, the two most common time signatures on my wrist. 
And in the middle of that is the percussion clef. Uh, I've got Apollo, Pan, and Euterpe, who is the goddess of lyrics. It's a snare drum with an angel popping out of it. Um, well, it kind of looks like she's exploding out of it. But the reason I got that is because I've always called music my mistress. And underneath that, I have the complete date of when I graduated music school. All kinds of cool stuff. It's cool to me, but it's all my music stuff. But back to the fads, you had the tribal in the 90s, and then you had the flames. God, I remember the flame tattoos. Everybody thought it was cool to get either the tribal band or the flames up their wrist, and it just it made no sense because when I see people with flame tattoos, I immediately think of guys or girls that are into hot rods and they're into custom cars and stuff like that, not Joe Blow Wall Street dude who's got a tattoo of a flame on his foot. What? What is it? Because you're burning money? I just didn't get it. Which is what I was talking about earlier about I just never understood the whole you walk into a shop and you point at a poster and go, I want that. It just never made any sense to me. I think tattoos should be very, very personal. And, and I think that you should have a definitive reason to get them. Back to me, I just told you about my left arm. My right arm is much more detailed than my left arm as far as what it means and why I got it. And a lot of people ask me about it. The, my right arm is, is full of heads, basically. There's a lot of heads and faces on my right arm. At the top of my right arm, there's a skyline of St. Louis, which I've even, I've never even been to St. Louis. I have no idea what St. Louis is like. There's some eyeballs. There's a zombie. There's all kinds of stuff going on my right arm. And the story behind my right arm is pretty simple. 11, 12 years ago, however long it's been now, I went through a very, very shitty divorce. That's as personal as I'm going to get. During that time, instead of doing what most people do or what I've heard most people do, and especially since I'm a working musician, what I should have done, meaning getting drunk all the time and going out and hanging out with various chicks and all that stuff, I literally, literally stayed in and I all I did was I worked and I read a book series. The book series is the Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series and the author is Laurel K. Hamilton. And as of right now, looking at my bookshelf, I think there's 26 books in the series. 27 comes out next year, something like that. At the time, there was 20, 21. But the point is, I read this series probably four times, maybe five, all the way through. I would get to the end of the, of the series, and I would start the series over. So instead of going out and doing retarded shit, I would just stay in, and I would read these books. Once I got my life back on track, and I got back on my feet and all that stuff, I thought it would be a great way to kind of commemorate and remind myself going forward, if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. So I picked some of my favorite characters from the books, and I sat down with my tattoo artist, who is Travis King at Prophecy Inc., and we started a plan on how to work my sleeve. And we probably went over it for three or four months before he even tattooed anything on me. Now, the point of me telling you all that is to, again, show that I put some thought into it. It means something to me, and the artwork is beautiful. Travis did a fantastic job. He's an amazing tattoo artist. And that's a big difference from some dude that's got a, I got a swastika on my elbow because I'm hardcore. No, you're not, dude. You're a douchebag. Okay, so the douchebag comment may be a little bit over the line. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. If you get a swastika on your elbow, you're a douchebag. But what I'm getting at is don't go into a tattoo shop and just look at something on a wall and point at it and go, hey, give me that. There's no thought into that. Then you're just doing it for a fad or you're doing it to try to be cool. 
and I don't care what you put on your body. It doesn't affect me at all. I don't really give a shit. I'm just kind of throwing it out there that sometimes, most of the time, especially people that have multiple, multiple tattoos, there are stories behind them that mean something to that person. A lot of people get reminder tattoos, meaning they have a tattoo on their body that when they look at it, it reminds them to do something. For example, remain calm or not to get pissed off or not punch your wife in the throat. Whatever it is, it's none of my business. There's many, many reasons to get tattooed. I just think that somewhere along the lines, people just thought it was cool. Now, fast forward out of the fads and all that kind of stuff. I am very happy to say that in the modern era, tattoos have been accepted much more than they have ever been accepted. They don't, you're not judged quite as much and quite as harshly as you used to be. Uh, so there is that. But all I'm really saying about it is, is put some thought into it. And if you have something silly, you have whatever you want, but make sure it means something to you. Because like I've said, nine, ten times out of ten, most people that get tattoos, especially when they're younger, they grow up and they regret them. Then they either have to get them covered up or they get them removed with a laser. And I guess, man, I heard that shit hurts so bad. I'm not interested in that at all. Nope, 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 nope. And here's something to remember when it comes to tattoos. Cheap tattoos are not good and good tattoos are not cheap. So now that I've talked about the fact that I kind of resemble white trash, wait, did I just call myself white trash? Eh, I guess when you can't hide them and they're on your hands, you are kind of white trash, right, Zenith? Let's move on to social media issues. So today on social media issues, what I want to talk about is live streaming of bands. I don't know how I feel about it. Got to be honest with you. There's times where I'm for it, and then there's times I'm against it, and then there's times I just want to throw water on all the cell phones I see. It's it's crazy. It's It's a very mixed bag of emotions and a mixed bag of thoughts when it comes to the live streaming thing, at least as far as I'm concerned. And I will tell you why. Having been playing music for so long, I remember the times when I would look out from the stage and I would see actual eyeballs. Now I look out from the stage and I see the backs of smartphones. It's just weird. But I think a bigger issue is, are people doing it too much? I think yes. The answer to that is yes, in my opinion. I think people live stream stuff way too much. Does it help the bands that you're, that you're live streaming? I don't know. Most cases, I would say no, because a lot of times when someone takes a cell phone video, it's all grainy. It sounds like complete shit. It's just garbage. It's tinny. It's gross. The energy just doesn't translate from a cell phone video. So on that front, I can't stand them. It just, it absolutely hurts your band. Now, on the other side of that coin, if someone can overlook that stuff, which a lot of people can. I, for one, cannot. Because I play music and I've been a musician for so long, I can see the actual what's going on on stage and I see the talent and all that stuff. So I can overlook it. But what I mean is I can't overlook the fact that it sounds like shit and looks like shit, so I won't listen to it. It just I just either scroll past it or delete it or whatever. So for the people that can overlook the graininess and the tinniness of the sound, I think it probably is a good thing because they could see if they like a band uh, for possible bookings or they want to go see a show, they go, hey, I, I really like that. I want to go see them in person. So 
it's kind of a double-edged sword. I stand on the side of I don't like it most of the time. Like I said, the, the sound quality, because I'm, I am a musician, that when it just sounds like shit, it drives me nuts. Now, another problem is when you have big shows, like big arena shows. Uh, recently in Louisville, we had Guns N' Roses here. And I'm not exaggerating. The night of that show, I didn't go to the show. I didn't want to go to the show. I had no interest in it. There's a handful of records that have come out in history that have changed music as we know it. And one of those records is Appetite for Destruction. So I'm not talking shit about Guns N' Roses. I just didn't want to go to the show. Turns out, I didn't have to. I was scrolling through Facebook and literally every other person on my feed had posted a video of them at Yum Center watching Guns N' Roses. So I kind of got to see the show from 87 different angles. It was the most, I don't know, it annoyed the shit out of me. But I don't know how major artists feel about it. I have no idea. I'm not really sure. I do know how one artist feels about it, and I will get to that in a second. Another problem I have with the sea of cell phones is I'm vertically challenged, not really tall for a dude. And because I'm a musician, I don't want to stand up front because it sounds like shit to me up front. I know how sound travels. I know how sound works in a room. Usually if I'm up front, I'm getting too much of the monitors and not enough of the actual front of house sound or the front of house speakers. So it just sounds like shit to me. So I tend to just stand in the back. The problem with being vertically challenged and I stand in the back is I can't see over the damn sea of cell phones. I can't even see the stage. It drives me nuts. So there is that part of it. When I go see a show and I'm standing at the back of the room, I can't see over the phones and I don't really want to watch a show through a six inch screen. I'm just not into that shit. I would rather put that memory in my brain and recall it whenever I want to. And the other thing too is I've noticed with a lot of people who will video a show, whether they're live streaming it or not, but people that will video a show nine times out of 10, they never go back and look at that shit. It just sits on their phone and then they delete it. It's What did you take the damn video for? You probably would have enjoyed this show more if you were watching it with your actual eyeballs instead of through your phone. Again, just my opinion. Now, back to the story I said I'd get to in a second. I don't remember when this was. I do know that it was in Ireland and it was within the last couple of months. The Pretenders were doing a show. I forgot where I saw this posted. I'm sure it was posted in numerous places. But anyway, the Pretenders were doing a show in Ireland, and on the ticket stubs, they had printed, please do not take cell phone video. And all over the venue, because I think it was a medium-sized venue, all over the venue, there were posters on the walls that said the same thing. Please leave your cell phone in your pocket. Do not video the show. Enjoy the show in real time. Thank you, the Pretenders. So there were multiple places that this was posted uh, that the band requested no cell phone videos. So as the band goes on stage and the lead singer, Chrissy, walks on stage, what do you think she sees? Any takers? Anybody want to guess? No? You guys give up? Yeah. A sea of cell phones. So of course it pissed her off. So they go into their set and they start doing their show and about 45 minutes in, I guess she just kind of got sick of staring at a bunch of cell phones. So she kind of looked at the crowd. She, she, I think from what I read and what I remember, she stopped the band. And she looked at the crowd and she said, hey, take a fucking picture of this. And she walked off stage and took her band with her and they never came back out. Obviously, she's not a fan of cell phone videos at live shows. And I back her up 100%. And the reason I back her up is because it was posted on the tickets. 
It was posted on the walls of the venue. I mean, there, there was no way you could miss it, but yet everybody did it anyway. They took pictures and they took video. And when she was looking out on the crowd, all she saw was a CSL phone. I get it. I, I don't blame her at all. And on the social media end of things, of course, everybody takes to twit face and face space and Insta coke gram and all that stuff to throw her under the bus. And I just thought it was silly. It's why are you throwing her under the bus? She warned you. They gave you ample notice. They gave you ample warnings, so to speak. And I don't mean warnings like, I'm just saying it was posted everywhere. There was no way that you could miss it. Yet nobody abided by the rules, which I guess is a better way to say it. So I don't blame her. Walk off stage. It's your show. A lot of people were apparently wanting refunds and they were saying that she was a control freak and she was a bitch and she's this and the pretenders suck and didn't cry me a fucking river. No, she wins. She asked you guys to do something. You didn't do it. She took her ball and went home. She's entitled to do that. Somebody comes to your house and you ask them to do something and they don't do it. You have every right to throw them out of your house. You were kind of in her house. It's easier for her to leave because there's more of you than there is of her, but you get the point. Principle is the same. She asked you to do something. You didn't do it. She's out. See you later. So there's my take on live streaming. Something to think about, uh, something to chew on for the next few days and see what you think about it. It's never going to stop. And I know this. I'm, I'm not naive. I'm not dumb. Okay, I'm a little slow, but whatever. But it's just something to think about. If you want to snag a a 15-second video and go, hey, check it out. This is where I am. Come on down and hang out with us. Awesome. You want to stand there for 45 minutes to an hour and record the show? You have issues. And now it's time for Stories from the Stage. I got a good one for you this week. Well, I think it's a good one. This is actually one of my favorites. Back in... 2003, I think. Uh, I was in a band called Exit Left, and we had the honor of opening for Vertical Horizon, and we did it at the Georgia Theater in Athens, Georgia. The Georgia Theater is historical, and there's been bazillions, I don't even know how many, uh, countless acts that have played there. Uh, It's been there forever. I don't even know how long it's been there. I'm not even going to research it. Throw it in your Google machine if you really want to know. But the cool part about the George Theater, on either side of the stage, there's a staircase, and they go up into these rooms. That's where the backstage area is. It's not behind the stage. It's not under it. It's up above the stage, which is kind of cool because when it's showtime, you can, quote, descend on the stage. I think it's really cool because when they built it, obviously, it was back in the day when they still cared about visual presentation and how things looked and how it would look for the crowd and things like that. We get there early and Vertical Horizon is doing their sound check. And it's kind of an unspoken rule that when a national band or a a signed touring band or whatever you want to call them, a bigger band, is doing their sound check, it's usually closed. So we have to, or if you're in a band, you might have to wait until they're done and they go to their backstage area or their bus or whatever. And then you can come in and set your shit up and do your thing. Well, they invited us in and wanted us to just kind of hang out with them and we met them all and they were super cool and they finished their sound check and they were playing Rush and they were playing Yes and they were playing Led Zeppelin and they were killing it. It's interesting because being known as a pop band, most people don't think that pop musicians are good musicians. I mean, and they were nailing these songs. It was awesome. So they get done with their sound check and they go 
do whatever they went and did. I don't remember. I mean, it was a while ago. So we load our stuff in and set up on stage and we do our sound check, which they watched, which was amazing. That was really cool because most of the time they don't do that. I kind of noticed them about halfway through our sound check. A few of them were trickling in from the front door and they were sitting in some of the seats just watching our sound check, which was awesome. So then they invited us to come hang out on their tour bus and that was amazing. And we just, I mean, they were just cool dudes. And it's, it's awesome when you doing what I do when you're around a band that has had some success. I mean, they had a massive success with that, that hit everything you want. Uh, and then they had some more success when they released You're a God. That was a hit as well. The irony of that to me is now the band I'm in, Gas Money, is a cover band. Uh, we actually cover everything you want. So it's kind of funny to me or ironic or cool or I'm just still a fan of music. The cool part about hanging out on the bus is those guys didn't forget where they came from. I mean, they were just like any other band. They started out trying to write some tunes and covering other people's tunes to get shows and get exposure. So it was really cool. Fast forward two, three hours, whatever it was. They were in the room on stage right above the stage. For those of you that are not musicians, stage right and stage left gets very confusing. I'll explain it to you really quick. Picture looking at a stage. What you see on your right side is stage left. What we see looking at you is our left. That's why it's stage right and stage left. So what you see on your right is stage left. What you see on your left is stage right. Just think of it backwards. That's really all it is. So their room was above stage right. Our room was above stage left. As we're walking down to, to go do our show, I, I kind of looked across and I saw the drummer and the singer and I think the bass player. I don't remember. Uh, one of the other guys in the band, they were just kind of hanging out in their room, looking down on the stage and they just kind of shot us a little hand wave and we all waved back. I know I waved back. I can't speak for the other guys because they were behind me. Georgia theater was sold out, packed house. We go down kind of descend on the stage like I told you the the whole thing and about the second song or so we we kind of had the crowd with us and we we killed it it was a great show uh and I remember at one point during the show cuz I'm very animated when I play and I'm all over the place uh and I remember looking over my left shoulder and the the guys in Vertical Horizon were still sitting up there they watched our whole set which that in itself was amazing cuz like I said before most of the time when you open for National bands or something, they stay in their trailer and you don't get to talk to them. You don't get to see them or they stay in their bus, can't interact with them. They're quote unquote untouchable. But the, the dudes in Vertical Horizon were really, really awesome. Anyway, we get done with our set. We come out and wave goodbye and or I come out from behind my drums and we're all waving goodbye and we walk off stage. 30 seconds later, we come back to break down our own gear because we didn't have a crew. So I'm trying to hurry up and I'm taking symbols off my symbol stand and I'm putting all my stuff in my cases and this, that and the other. and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it's the drummer for Vertical Horizon. I looked at him and I, I know I had this shocked look on my face. And he just looks at me and he goes, dude, you guys were awesome and you're a killer drummer. You need help breaking down your gear? And I just kind of, I, I did the whole, huh? I, I just, I didn't know what to say. And I looked at him and I said, man, you're in Vertical fucking Horizon. What are you doing asking me if I need help for? And it was just one of those moments where I had the, I guess you could say the approval of a peer the approval of a fellow drummer, the respect of a fellow drummer, whatever you want to call it. It was just a really, really cool moment. Of course, I told him no. I was like, no, dude, you've got to get ready for your show. You, this show's about you. It's not about us. And But he was really, really cool. It's one of those moments I'll never forget. The drummer for a national band asked me if I wanted help carrying my gear off stage. That's pretty cool. That kind of shit doesn't happen every day. So there's my story from the stage this week. I think I told you in another episode that this is going to suck for me every week. 
I guess I should have said that it's going to suck trying to pick one. Uh, I actually enjoy this section of the show. This is probably one of my favorite sections of the show. Uh, I get to, I get to talk about me. I mean, how can I not love that? I'm totally kidding. Or am I? It's just going to suck because I've, I've been very fortunate and I've played more than 2000 shows. If I, if I actually sat down and, and thought about it, it, it might be closer to 2500. I have no idea. So it's going to be hard to pick, but it is one of my favorite sections of the show because I get to, I get to relive some very cool things I've done. And I also get to look back at some of my cringeworthy moments and laugh at my stupidity, which you guys can laugh along with me. So that's always good. So let's move on to the last section for this week. What am I listening to? This week, I want to talk about a record by Keith Urban called Ripcord. Uh, it's the latest record he released. I don't remember the release date. It was either the beginning of this year or the end of last year. He's had two hits off of that record, a song called Blue Ain't Your Color, and the fighter that he did with Carrie Underwood. I think that record from top to bottom is awesome. I mean, he's known as a country artist, but I do not think this record is country at all. Uh, he's got a song on there called Boy Gets a Truck, which lyrically is definitely country, but musically it's it's a pop rock song. I mean, the whole record's kind of pop rock. He's got some elements of R&B on there. Uh, he does have a song with Pitbull and Niall Rogers on it, which I thought was cool. I'm not necessarily a Pitbull fan, but to think that he got a, a rapper and Niall Rogers to do, to play on one of his songs. It's just kind of cool. Keith Urban is a, he is one hell of a musician. And I didn't realize how good he was until a few years ago. I saw him live at the Yum Center and I would put that show in, in my top five for sure. Uh, it was an amazing show. I mean, he, he's just so damn good. I don't really, I can't really put into words what I'm trying to say just because I mean, I'm not a guitar player. So there's a lot of things he does that go over my head, uh, but I'm not musically stupid either, so I know how good he is. Little Big Town opened up the show, and they were amazing as well. The harmonies between those four, is, those harmonies are just ridiculous. But when it was time for Keith Urban to come on, it was really cool how they did it. His crew took one guitar and, and put it on a guitar stand and stuck it in the middle of the stage. Uh, no lights going down, no lights going up. They just had one, I, I guess, a medium lit spotlight. It wasn't a, it wasn't a beacon like a huge bright spotlight they had one small spotlight on the guitar no intro music no like i said no house lights going up or down he just walked out picked up his guitar started playing it was awesome uh, and as he was playing the intro to a song the rest of his band came out about halfway through the show he he took his bass player and his drummer to the other side of the arena where there was a small stage set up uh, and he did four or five songs from there then he walked back to the stage. Uh, he's got this thing for signs where if you make a really cool sign, he'll bring you up on stage and do any song that you request. Just things like that. He's a, as a human being, from what I've seen, he's really cool. But anyway, enough about that. Back to this record. I think this record is a really good testament to musicians and artists trying to break their own mold and break out of their own boxes. Like I said, he's known as a country artist, but he's a phenomenal guitar player. And a lot of the stuff that he put on this record, I wouldn't consider it country at all. It leans more along the lines of, of pop rock. And I think the, the, the production value on this record is amazing. Most of the records that come out of Nashville off of the bigger labels and the bigger production houses is going to be amazing. They've just, 
They've got it down to a science in Nashville as far as they know exactly what they need to do to get a particular sound out of a record because they've been doing it for so long. But that's a whole nother story. But I, I think this record is really, really good from top to bottom. For example, that song I mentioned earlier, Boy Gets a Truck, it's not a country song. It's got a country kind of message in it. But the coolest part about it is every line will end with a word and the next line will start with that word. For example, he'll say truck, he'll end the line with truck, and then he'll start the next line with truck. And then he'll end the line with girl, and then he'll start the next line with girl. And a lot of people, well, that's not really that cool. It doesn't matter if it's cool or not. It's smart songwriting, at least in my opinion. I think it's really cool, and it's really smart songwriting to use words like that. It's kind of like Eminem. I know, took a left turn off the interstate. I get it. But Eminem rhymes words that should not rhyme. I don't know how the dude does it. He's a damn genius. But that's one of the things that makes Eminem such a good rapper and such a good hip-hop artist is the way he rhymes words that should not rhyme. Back to Keith Urban. Using phrases and using words or ending a phrase with a word and starting a new phrase with this, with the same word, that shit's hard to do. It's not easy. And then, of course, the guitar playing on it is is amazing. The drums on it are good. The, the, everything on that record's good. So that's the record I suggest checking out this week in What Am I Listening To section. I think you'll dig it. Some of his earlier stuff you may not dig. It, it does get a little bit more country-ish. But it's probably my favorite Keith Urban record. Um, he's got a bunch of other records. He's got uh, Fuse. That's a really good record, too. But the thing that turned me on to Keith Urban is a few years ago, I saw Crossroads. Uh, CMT, Country Music Television, they used to have this show called Crossroads. I don't think they have it anymore, which is unfortunate. But they would take a country artist and a rock artist or a country artist and a rap artist or a country artist and a pop artist, whatever. But they would make country and other genres and they would have these live shows and they would film them and they, it was called Crossroads. And I saw one with John Mayer and Keith Urban. And like I said, I knew he was a good guitar player, but I had no idea how good he was. I actually kept that show on my DVR for, I don't know, six, seven months, something like that. And I would watch it at least once a week. It was phenomenal. Keith Urban has a song called Till Summer Comes Around, and I absolutely love that song. Uh, and that's kind of what really turned me on to him. So check out that record. Again, it's Keith Urban. It's his new record or newest record called Ripcord. And it's been out for a while. Uh, and go dig into some of his other stuff. You're not going to like all of it. I'll tell you straight up. But there is some really good songs in there. There's some really good nuggets of music in there. Uh, something new for your earballs. As I've said before, if you already dig it, then we've got some stuff in common. Well, that's it, kids. That's the show for the week. I hope you learned something. I hope you'll rethink your tattoo choices if you don't have any tattoos. Uh, don't pick something off a wall that every other Tom, Dick, and Harry has, because then it just doesn't mean anything. I hope you check out some Keith Urban. I hope you dig it, and if you don't dig it, as always, don't tell me because I don't want to know. I hope you have some cool plans for the week, and I will remind you of this every time we're together. Go do some shit. Get out there. Go do something. You fall on your face. You wipe it off. You get back up. You keep on rolling. Go do some shit. Until next time, I will talk at you soon.